Welcome back to the podcast. Um, if you remember here on Word and Testimony, we're working through uh, New Testament material that is drawing on strings, allusions, quotations, references, building on a paradigm, something like that, from First Testament texts. The last time we were together, we looked at a passage in Matthew's Gospel that has a parable of Jesus about the vineyard, and we drew connections back to uh, passages in the First Testament that were playing on that same kind of vineyard imagery. Today, we're going to take a look at some things that are more illusion, um, but are drawing on, on things uh, that the audiences of the Gospels the disciples of Jesus would have kind of had a theological imagination formed around uh, from the beginning. And so when these things pop up, and we're going to look at John's gospel today, so when these things come up in John's gospel, um, there's there's already elements of that theology, of that understanding of where those things are coming from, of why they're significant or why they matter. That's already at work because of what's present in the First Testament stuff. And so John doesn't have to do a lot of explaining or adding. He can just sort of drop in these mentions, these allusions, excuse me, these hints. And as he does, we end up with uh, things that shape the understanding and the way that we're looking at what's going on uh, on a deeper level in this particular narrative. So we're going to be in John chapters 18 and 19. And we're going to look at some of the mentions that I'm, I'm thinking through in, in John's gospel as he is linking that material up with what's happening in uh, the Exodus account. So um, we're really going to play on a lot, but um, there are a ton of illusions that we could dive into. Uh, we can spend a ton of time in in the garden imagery, and maybe that'll be a good next episode in 18, 19, and 20 in John's Gospel, um, and linking that up with garden material from the First Testament. So we'll, we'll play with that next time. I think that's a, a good idea. But uh, let's start with this. If we're, if we're looking through what's going on in John chapter 18, um, <clears throat> we are... Uh, we are told in verse 14 that Caiaphas has advised the Jews that it is expedient that one individual, one man, should die for the people. This is John 18, 14. Um, right off the bat, that's a, that's a kind of uh, sacrificial piece. Um, and it's a kind of Passover piece. And this is really going to become a focal point for us, this Passover material. Um, it is in God's instruction. It is just practically expedient, efficient, best, uh, that the one lamb die in place of the firstborn in the final plague on uh, Egypt in the Exodus account. So what we're looking at as we process this through is that there's something in the setup that's going to happen with Jesus. There, there is a kind of practicality expediency to this reality that Jesus is going to die on behalf of others and that's and that's part of this okay um, so there's a lot of movement uh, in 18 and 19 of, of people from 
the garden to this house or that in, in these courtyards or um, whatever the case may be. And what's interesting is that all of that movement, like 18, 15, Jesus goes into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stands outside. When Jesus is on trial in chapter 19 in front of Pilate, Pilate comes inside his headquarters to talk to Jesus and then goes back out to the crowds. And there's this in and out movement all the time in chapters 18 and 19. And that's an interesting movement uh, when we consider Passover and what's going on with the Passover narrative. Because inside the homes marked with the blood of the lamb in Exodus 12, uh, the people are safe. Outside of the homes or in a home not marked with the blood of the lamb, people are not safe. And so we pick up on this. When, when Pilate is inside with Jesus in chapter 19, he's convinced that Jesus is innocent. But when he's outside, away from Jesus, and he's with the crowds outside the house, outside the praetorium, outside the building, he's pressured to crucify the lamb, so to speak. Uh, when, when Peter is outside in the courtyard, or standing outside at the door, but Jesus is inside in the, in the, in the home of the high priest during his trial, uh, Peter is removed from the thing, the lamb. And, and Peter denies Jesus three times while he stands outside. But Jesus, the lamb, is inside. Jesus, again, with Pilate, is inside, and Pilate is moving in and out to and from Jesus. And so there's this play, which if, if you're really saturated in what's going on with the Exodus and uh, the Passover narrative, being inside is good, and being outside is dangerous or risky, being inside with the lamb is best. And so we've, we've got this, this working for us. There's a couple of things though that I, that I do want to focus on, and, and that's these, these mentions here. So um, Jesus is led from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, and it's early in the morning, and we're told that the Jews, the, the leadership, the high priests, uh, the high priest and the chief priests and leaders of the people did not enter the governor's headquarters. This is 1828. Uh, so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. If we've been, or if we are following the Johannine calendar here, we're talking about Good Friday now, right? Uh, and Good Friday, the way um, John describes it, Good Friday for us is the, is, the, is the last day before Passover proper, it seems, uh, in John's chronology. So uh, Friday of Jesus's Passion Week is um, is the day before Passover, okay? So uh, the Jews are in a window where if, if they do something that makes them ceremonially unclean or defiled, then they, they can't participate in Passover, and that's going to be a particular problem and so in order to avoid that problem they're going to stay outside the governor's headquarters instead of moving inside okay now um as we go through we've talked about this movement of pilot inside and outside and and that's what we're going to see in the trial but as we move down into chapter 19 we, we get the story of the crucifixion now we've already been told we're walking toward Passover, and as we get through the crucifixion, um, on uh, in chapter 19 and, and verse 31, um, 
John, John tells us that since it was the day of preparation, the day of preparation, day of preparation here can be one of two things since the, the last half of the verse mentions that they don't want the bodies to remain on the cross during the Sabbath day. Uh, but he does make a note that Sabbath is a high day. We're going to come back to that in a second. So uh, preparation could be just preparation for the Sabbath. They're, they're preparing for the weekly Sabbath as, as Friday moves on. Um, this is getting into the afternoon of Friday, and so preparation for the Sabbath is um, significant. It's, it's really important here. Um, so verse 42 of chapter 19 is going to say the same thing. Since it was the Jewish day of preparation and the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. They're going to put him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea because his tomb is close by. Um, so it's the day of preparation. And, and this is what we know is happening here. Um, the day of preparation can either be just preparation for Sabbath, like I talked about, or day of preparation can be day of preparation for Passover. And um, day of preparation for Passover is, is probably more likely because of the timing of the way that this is working out in, um, in John's Gospel. So we, we, Let's see. There's a there's a more particular mention here. It's it's in in 1914, Pilate seeking to release Jesus in this trial moment, and then we're told now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it's already the sixth hour, so it's about noon at this point in time during Jesus' trial with Pilate. So the mention in 1914 makes me think that the two mentions of day of Passover in 31 in chapter 19. And again, at the tail end in 42 of chapter 19, that those days of preparation aren't just regular weekly Sabbath preparation, but they're Passover preparation. Now that's a little bit different because we prepare for the weekly Sabbath in particular ways, but we prepare for Passover in others. So preparation for Passover, um, when you have the established priesthood, and this is the difference between Exodus 12 in the life of the New Testament. Um, the, the, in Exodus 12, everybody sacrifices their own lamb. But by the time we get to Jesus in the Gospels, um, the, the, the priesthood's established and rolling and has been around for a long time. So now... Um, the sacrifices of the lambs are going to happen through the vehicle of the priesthood. And then people are going to take those sacrificed lambs from the temple back home to roast and prepare for, uh, for the, the Passover feast that happens what would be our Friday evening into Saturday morning. And that starts the, the Sabbath, because Sabbath starts Friday at sundown um, and then runs until Saturday at sundown. So... Um, as we are processing this, here's what we've got. We've got John with movement of his characters from inside certain places to outside certain places. Jesus consistently is either inside the governor's headquarters or inside the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Uh, and people are coming into contact or are positioned in, in relationship to where Jesus is positioned. So Jesus goes inside Caiaphas's house and the beloved disciple follows him. Peter stands outside at the door. 
Jesus is inside the governor's headquarters while the Jews stand outside, and Pilate moves inside to talk to Jesus and outside with the crowds. John's already told us in chapter 1 that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God who takes up the sin of the world. He's just the Lamb of God in general. So we've got this Lamb material as a paradigm already sort of in operation for us. And as we come then to 18 and 19, we watch Jesus have these movements in and out. Okay, We, we know that this particular Friday is the day of preparation for the Passover celebration. And we know that the day after that Friday is the Sabbath. And, and John has told us that that Sabbath is a high day. And so Sabbath and Passover cross over on the week of Jesus' crucifixion. And so Passover proper seems to be happening on the regular weekly Saturday Sabbath. And Jesus is being crucified the day before. Now, while, while in Exodus 12... All of our families killed the lamb on their own and then prepared it in their homes. Uh, the, the priesthood is now responsible for, for the sacrifice of Passover lamb and the offering of that lamb in the place of firstborns in Jewish households. And so everybody is bringing their lambs to the temple on this Friday when Jesus is being crucified as they prepare for the Saturday Passover and Sabbath as a great high day celebration, which means that when we're told it's the day of preparation for Passover, one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that while the crucifixion is happening, the Passover lambs are dying in the temple. So what John has done is kind of telescoped the Passover material and the lamb material into a space where the narrative is focused on the events that happened with Jesus. But these strategic mentionings of now it was the day of preparation of Passover, or it was the day of preparation, and that's a high day, and so they didn't want the bodies to defile the land and remain on the cross and whatever. By, by doing that, what John has done is he's situated for the first century reader what seems to be rather obvious to them and hidden for us, and, and it's this. Jesus is dying on the cross at the same time that the Passover lambs are being sacrificed in the temple. And John's words, John the Baptist's words, at the beginning of John's gospel now come ringing to the forefront. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes up the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb who is dying on the cross and backdropping his death on the cross is the Passover lamb sacrifice while those lambs are being sacrificed in the temple. So you've got Jesus, the focal point of the narrative, with the lambs backdrop. Geographically, if we're looking at the city of Jerusalem and we're coming in <clears throat> on the eastern side of the city towards the temple complex, then, then we would see Jesus on the cross at Golgotha, most likely, as we come toward the temple. And so physically, as we walk toward the temple, the temple is in the background and Golgotha is forefronting us, walking into the city. So we see the Lamb of God crucified on the cross and the temple where the Passover lambs are being sacrificed. Perhaps we're even, we are bringing our lamb 
is is in the background. And so geographically and narratively, there's this setup where what's at the forefront of our attention is Jesus on the cross. But what backdrops it is the lamb and the Passover setup. And so Jesus the lamb dies on the cross while the Passover lambs die in temple. Why does any of this matter? Well, we were told Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes up the sin of the world. Caiaphas told us that it would be expedient that one man die for the people, than that the people all die. And now Jesus is taking up that space like the Passover Lamb, dying in the place of the people. <clears throat> this it's really it's really basic, but all of this living Passover excuse me, Passover material from Exodus 12 provides us with a framework in which to operate and understand in which to operate and understand what's going on with Jesus' crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. So Jesus is geographically situated such that when you walk toward the temple to bring your lamb, you see Jesus and the temple is in the background. From a narrative level, Jesus is situated such that we see Jesus and what is happening in his crucifixion and what is backdropping it is the Exodus 12 Passover material. The lambs dying in the temple, Jesus dying on the cross, timed to the same moment because that is providing us with the necessary theological background for us to understand what John wants us to understand as a core truth about who this Jesus is. What's going on here isn't necessarily anything new, but it's something new and it's something fulfilling. It's not new in the sense that this is Passover. It looks like Passover and it feels like Passover and it's significant like Passover and it involves a lamb like Passover. What is new is the fact that that Passover lamb is Jesus Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, who is taking up the sin of the world. What is new is this fulfillment of everything that Isaiah and others had prophesied, that in his suffering he would justify many and somehow that justification would be even more substantial or, or uh, complete than the rescuing and delivering of the Passover lamb. And so we have the Passover backdropping what's going on <clears throat> here in John's text. Now, all of this is, is wonderful, but John doesn't come out and explain it. Dear reader, this is what I'm doing with this Passover material. John is telling this story in the New Testament, reliant on what he already knows of the First Testament material. And that's how this works. As we think about what's going on in our First Testament material, as it has appeared in New Testament, this, this recycling, right? We can, like we talked about last time. We don't need to go back in and give a full treatise on what's going on with the material from the First Testament. 
what our New Testament authors often do is just slowly drop in or strategically drop in these little pieces, like it's the day of preparation for Passover, like this movement inside and outside, like the fact that it's a high day, it's a holy day. These are all pieces that we're, we're working through um, and, that, and that call our attention back to First Testament material. And so we have New Testament writers who, who are steeped in these First Testament pieces and images who are, who are weaving it into the way they're telling the, the New Testament narrative about Jesus. But they're so saturated in it and they know it so well, they don't launch full explanations. So we, we've, we've, we've done this with, with Passover here, and, and we're probably going to stick around the same couple of chapters, 18, 19, and, and jump into 20 a little bit next time we're together in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at this idea of the garden um, because it, it, too, has this kind of saturation in it. Um, hopefully this is insightful and, and helpful as we consider what the New Testament is doing. Um, remember, it's building on something that's already there. And, and that's the purpose of this exploration this summer. So uh, a little bit in Passover this time. Next time we get together, we'll talk gardens uh, connected to John 18, 19, and 20. Um, have a good one. Uh, I, I look forward to, to more time together on the podcast.